Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Okay. So the, uh, the story of these two guys is that they both, they both heard the same teaching. They both built a house. The difference was that Jesus says one guy built his house on a rock. The other guy built his house on a sand. The guy that built his house on a rock, he said, was, was like a wise man. The one who built on the sand foolish man. The only difference, they heard the same message, but, but the difference was is that the one man did what he was taught to do, and the other man heard the same message and didn't do it. And he said the guy that heard and did was like the wise man that built his house on the rock, and the guy that heard but didn't do was like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. And here's what happened. They both experienced a storm. So just because you're living for the Lord, just because you have a dynamic walk with God, does not mean that you won't have a storm or two in your life. These guys both experienced the same storm. The difference was how they come out on the other end. The wise man that built his house on the rock, his house stood. His house weathered the storm. The guy that built his house on the stand, the sand said the storm came, the winds blew, the rains descended, and his house fell, and great was the fall of it. So that not only did it fall, but he, had, he had, a, had a big problem. It was a big fall. So when we're looking at that story, we're talking about building a solid foundation for your life. That God wants you not only to survive, but He wants you to have a solid foundation so that when things happen in life, when storms of life come, that you're going to be solid. You're going to have a strong foundation. You're going to be able to weather whatever might be thrown at you. And so God has uh, he's given us this whole, we're taking these teachings from the entire Sermon on the Mount. So I've done a couple, Pastor Jay's done one. And today we're going to talk about being established in righteousness. Being established in righteousness. Now, this is really one of my favorite topics. It, and, and I know it's not one that's probably, maybe you don't hear a lot of teaching on, but I love to talk about righteousness. So when I prepared my notes this week, I had almost 20 pages of notes. Now it took me like forever. I, I spent I, I can't even condense it to a message. So uh, I've been really praying even up just through worship as to what God would have me share about righteousness. So uh, before we jump into Matthew chapter uh, 5, which is where the story we're going to start from today is, uh, I took the title for this message from Isaiah chapter 54, Verse 14, Isaiah 54, 14. Now you're probably familiar with Isaiah 54, verse 17. And if I told you how it started, you could probably quote it. Um, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of my servants, says the Lord. What's the last part of it? And their righteousness is from me. So a lot of times we don't follow the verse all the way through, but the reason that you're able to do that is because God imparts His righteousness to you. So, but when if you think about Isaiah, Isaiah is, a, is really a prophetic book about the coming Messiah. So if we look at Isaiah 53, it talks about the payment that Jesus makes. And then as Isaiah 54, he starts talking about... Um, just a lot about things about the new covenant. So Isaiah 54:14 it says that you shall be established in what? Righteousness. He said you shall be or in righteousness you shall be established. 
So he says, here's the thing, here's a teaching, here's a doctrine that I want you to be established in. To be established means to be secure, to have a firm foundation, to, to be set in, in, in that you know that you know that you know. He says, in righteousness you shall be established, for you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. So what happens a lot of times, here is an area that the enemy uses as an open door to really mess with your life. It's this area of righteousness. And if you're not solid, if you're not established in what righteousness is, how you get it, how you stay with it, he will mess up your mind. He'll have you thinking that you're, you're going to hell today, you're going to heaven tomorrow, you're not sure where you are three days from now. Up, down, back, up. He will mess with you. And Isaiah says, I want you to be established in righteousness. I like the, uh, the message translation. It says, you will be built solid, grounded in righteousness. So here's what I want to do today. I don't have any points. So normally I like to have three points. A lot of times they all start with the same letter. I don't have a point today. My point is, is I want you to leave here established in righteousness, okay? So let me start with a question. If I had to ask you right now, now I want you to just imagine for a minute, imagine that God was standing right here. Now God's not, well He is, His presence is here. We could have, like Kristen would probably be the closest thing, maybe. No, no, she says no. Actually, I know, she's not close. (laughs) So let's just say God's here right now. God's here, and He says, if you are truly righteous, I want you to come up here and meet me right here. How many could say unequivocally, I know that I know that I know, I would run to the front and I would meet God right here? How many aren't sure? See, the way that you view your righteousness impacts the way that you view God and your relationship you have with Him. See, the way I understand grace, the way I understand righteousness, really impacts my walk with, my intimacy with, my my time with, the way I interact with God Himself. If I ask you today, how many here would consider themselves a sinner? Let me see a show of hands. Funny, I got more sinners than righteous people. See, so often we equate our external actions to determine whether we are a sinner or whether we are righteous. God doesn't. Romans chapter 5. I think this was my last slide, but I'm just going to go there now. (laughs) I like this verse. Romans 5.19. See, so often we... Oh, wow, you guys are good. Look at that. Got that right. See, so often we think that we are a sinner because we sin. And we think that we're righteous because we do right or do 
good things or right things. What the Apostle Paul says, he says, that you need to know that because of one man's disobedience, many became what? Sinners. But because of the obedience of one man, with a capital O, one man, many will be made what? Righteous. So let me tell you this. You're not a sinner because you sin. You are not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you were born a sinner because Adam sinned. And Adam sinned, and that passed upon you the day you were born. Jesus obeyed perfectly, and because He obeyed, you can be righteous. So, do I have any military people here? Who's in the military? Anybody? Alright, I thought Phil, is Phil here? Jordan? Alright, what branch of the military? Marine Corps. Alright, great. I love that. I've always wanted to be a Marine. What, what's something that if I'm going to be a Marine, what are some things that they teach me to do when I'm in the Marine Corps? Kill. <laughs> Alright. So they're probably going to say, well, you need to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. You need to make sure that your bed is completely smooth so you could bounce a quarter on it. You need to be at the mess hall at 5 o'clock. you got two minutes to shave. you got to... If I did all of those things, would I be a Marine? No. But if I'm a Marine, would I do those things? Yes. See, when you're thinking about righteousness, what you do does not make you righteous. The fact that you've been made righteous will change what you do. It's the same way that your sinning does not make you a sinner. But because you were born a sinner, you sin. When God makes you righteous, and you become the righteousness of God, and we're going to talk about what that means, now, what you do doesn't change that. If you're sinning, I mean, let me, let's think about it like this. You ever known like a really bad guy that did something nice? Let's just say I'm the worst criminal. I just got out of jail. I've committed every crime in the book. Could I do something nice? Yeah. Does that change who I am? No, I'm still a bad dude. The same way if you've been made right with God, just because you do something wrong doesn't change who you are. So too often we, we estimate and think about who we are and what we, we are to God based on what we do instead of what we are on the inside. And so what I want to look at today is as Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he talks to, uh, as he's teaching on, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 5.20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I went out and we took a survey on the street, and I asked people, what does it take to go to heaven? What would most people say? You've got to be a good person. And some might say, well, 
you, you, you got to be a good person, but maybe you just got to be a little bit better, more good than you are bad, right? And, and, and then if I, go to, if I get to, to see God and, and I have more good than bad, then I'll get in. Well, so Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter in. So this verse makes me ask a couple questions, right? A, who are the scribes and the Pharisees? And B, how righteous were they? Because I need to know, I want to know my competition, right? If if I'm going to sell more cars than Kara, I need to know what Thomas is doing. Hi, Kara. This little friendly competition, right? Right, if, if I have to exceed something, I want to know, you know, what's the minimum? What do I got to do to get in? So the scribes and Pharisees, so think about this. They were like the religious, like, I don't know. I hate to say this. I better not. better not say that. They were like the religious elite of the day. Right, so think about the most quote-unquote religious person you knew, and they were a little bit better than them. But basically, the the Pharisees prided themselves and they kept every little detail of the law. They they even, when it came to the law of tithing, it said they even tithed, which meant 10%, on the little herbs and spices that came out of their garden. They, They just, down to the finest little detail. And then the scribes, these are the guys that interpreted the law, wrote the law down, and would even... Uh, add to the law based on some traditions and things like that. So you have, you have these two groups of people. The scribes are really a subset of the Pharisees. And, and so they knew the law, they wrote the law, they studied the law, they, they lived the law. Now, just don't, when I say the law, don't just think of the, the Ten Commandments, because we think about that a lot. Right? So there were Ten Commandments, but there were actually a lot more than that. There were actually 613 different commandments that were written down in the first five books of the Old Testament. There were 248 uh, positive commandments, 365 negative commandments. So we got 248 thou shalts, 365 thou shalt nots. And these guys, man, they, they knew them inside and out, and they practiced them. Now you might think, wow, that's pretty good. I, I barely know the 10 or even keep the 10. But these guys, they were experts in all 613. Well, the funny thing is, later in the book of Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, he says, he says that woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says that you appear to be like a whitewashed tomb. So think about this. He said, you go to a graveyard and you see this tomb, this gravestone that's white and, and just really nice. He says, you appear to be like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. He said that. He said, in the same way, your righteousness appears good to everybody else, but on the inside, you're full of un- lawlessness and uncleanness and wickedness. See, so even though they kept all these laws, Jesus said that, hey, it looks good on the outside, but you're still dirty on the inside. He even went a couple verses earlier, he said, you know what? Don't bother washing the cup on the outside. He said, you guys spent all this time washing the cup and the dish on the outside but on the inside it's dirty. He said you need to clean the inside first and then the outside will be clean. So we see this thing here that just because you do a lot of good stuff, it might make you look good and appear righteous outside, but inside you're dirty. But if you clean up the inside first, now the outside has a chance. 
Now you're gonna, you're, we're going we're gonna to make a change here that's going to lead to a change out here. Alright, so let's look at a couple of these. Next slide. Let me give you just, just a, a, a layman's definition without going into a lot of theology. I want to give you a layman's definition because when people think of righteous or righteousness, a lot of times we think of doing right things and sometimes, but not very often, the word righteous or righteousness means doing right things. More often than not, it means right standing with God. It means that I can stand right here. Like I said, she's God. Actually, she's my Holy Spirit. I can stand right here before a holy, righteous God, the God of the universe, the God that knows everything, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, and I can stand right here, innocent, guiltless, faultless, and acceptable before God and feel good about it. Do you want to feel that way? Actually, forget that. I don't want you to feel any way. I just want you to know that you know. If you feel that way, that's even better. Understanding who you are in Christ is what you need to do. If you feel, the feelings come along with it, that's good too. Alright, next slide. Alright, so here's... Jesus hits a couple of these things, and we're going to read through this. So if you think, you know what? I could probably keep the law. I could probably... If, if, if the Pharisee could do it, I could do it. So here's what Jesus does. As He comes in... He, he says a few verses early, he says, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy. I came to do what? Fulfill. So he came to fulfill the law. And when we think of Jesus fulfilling the law, Jesus didn't just fulfill the letter of the law, all 613. He even fulfilled the spirit of the law. So what he's going to do right now in these next few verses, we're going to run through them pretty quick, is he starts to unveil, hey, you think you're that good. You think you can really exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Let me raise the bar a little bit. Because a lot of times we think that when Jesus brings in grace, that grace is easier than the law. Grace actually raises the bar. Grace is a higher standard. That if the law says this, grace says this. See, the difference is the law can't change you. See, all the law can do, it says, for by the law was the knowledge of sin. So all the law can do is say, hey, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. It can show you you're wrong. It can show you your mistakes. It'll show you how you can't keep it, but it can't change you. Grace, on the other hand, when grace comes in, grace is a higher standard. But grace empowers you to keep the very thing that it commands, which is the big difference between grace and law. The law can tell you what to do, but it can't change you. Grace will tell you what to do and then some, and it gives you the power to do it. So Jesus, Jesus starts to unveil to these people the spirit of the law. He says, regarding murder, you've heard it said, so there's five things he talks about here. Some of these you'll recognize from the, the Ten Commandments. Some of them you'll, or, or more of the broader interpretations of the law. He says, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder. Anybody heard that before? Right? I'm not going to ask if we have any murders because, you know, maybe you were. Under the blood of Jesus, you are no more. He says, whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, 
Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, now that just means like, you numbskull, you idiot, you good for nothing. Kind of like, anybody ever used to read Peanuts comics? Or is that like too old? So Lucy used to always say to, to Charlie Brown, she'd say, you numbskull. So Jesus is just saying, he said that if you are angry, where does anger start? In the heart. It's an attitude. Or he says, if you're angry with your brother, or if you say, Raka, you idiot, you numbskull, you good for nothing, moron, or if you say, you fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. So he's saying that, hey, the law says don't commit murder. I'm raising the bar. The spirit of the law says, hey, don't even have a bad attitude of anger. Don't even say a negative thing about somebody. Wow. Anybody qualifying now? You're going to feel really bad by the time we get through. I'm just going to promise you. Because like, you're going to think, who in the world's going to do this? Well, I never committed murder, but I called somebody an idiot just today. Just today. Next, adultery. I never committed adultery, really. You've heard it said of those old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Okay, we quote this a lot. Adultery doesn't start with the actual act of adultery. He says that if you want to hear the spirit of the law, adultery, which is sex outside of the bounds of a marriage between a man and a woman, any sex outside of that, is adultery. He said that happens the minute that you look at a woman and think about it. So a lot of people, here, let me give you, like, just take a sidebar for a minute. I've heard people say, well, if I've already thought about it and I've already committed it in my heart, I might as well do it. That's dumb. That's dumb. Jesus is not saying they're equivalent. There are greater repercussions to committing adultery than thinking adultery. Now, the law condemns both. Both will send you to hell. Both will say you're guilty. But one's got greater consequences than the other. So don't ever justify, well, I've already thought about it. I've already contemplated it. I've already imagined it. I might as well do it. That's dumb. Don't do that. So Jesus is just saying, hey, you don't have to actually do it to commit it. And then what about this? I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality could cause her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman. You ever, I'm sure there's people here that have married a divorced woman. According to the law, the spirit of the law, you're committing adultery. We don't want to hear that. So the whole purpose of this is to... Maybe you made it through the first one on murder. Maybe your mouth is pure. Maybe butterflies come out when you speak. Now we go to number two. Well, I never looked at a woman. I have never married anybody that's been divorced. All right, we're, we're getting to you. We're getting to you. Number three, oaths. Again, you've heard it said that you shall not swear falsely. You shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So a lot of times when we hear the, the thing in the Bible that says... Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in what? In vain. So we think uh, today that we, we equate that with, with using God's name as a swear word. Well, another application of that was 
Jesus said, don't, when, when you make an oath and you swear by God, you better keep it. And if you don't keep it, if you, if you swear by God, don't keep your oath, then you're actually taking His name in vain. So what these, these uh, scribes did is they said, okay, we're going to make a workaround. It's kind of like a loophole. Who likes loopholes? So here's a loophole. They said, so what we'll do, we'll make it okay to swear by the temple, or we'll swear by my head, or I'm going to swear by heaven because it's not God. And if I, if I swear by heaven, or if I swear by the temple, or if I swear by my head, and it's not God, and I don't keep my word, then I haven't taken His name in vain. It's a loophole. But Jesus destroys that loophole. He says, hey, don't swear by God. Don't swear by heaven because that's where He lives. Don't swear by the temple because that's God's throne. Don't swear by the hairs on your head because He owns those too. See, God's connected to everything. So if you swear by anything, you're technically swearing by Him. And if you don't keep your word, then you're breaking the thing on oaths. Anybody ever said, well, I swear to God. Did you keep your word? A bunch of sinners. This church is a bunch of sinners. He says, let your yes be a yes and a no be a no. Be a person of your word. You know, I, you, know you shouldn't have to say, oh, I swear to God it's true. Or, or, you know what? You should just be a person of integrity. You say something, do it. You say you're going to do it, do it. It's kind of like when people, I, I hate when salespeople do this. Matter of fact, if my salespeople ever do this, you need to tell me. When they say, hey, Mr. Customer, let me be honest with you for a minute. Hey, let me be honest with you for a minute. Kara, don't do that. Even though you're my competition, don't do that. What's it imply if you're saying, let me be honest with you for a minute? Everything I told you before this is a lie. Don't say that. Just let your yes be a yes or a no be a no. All right, next one, retribution. As you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. So there was a part of the Bible that said, hey, the punishment should meet the crime. So they really took this, they took this, you know, obviously to the extreme again. And he says, I tell you not to resist, and this means to retaliate against uh, an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him also. Now, Jesus is not advocating domestic violence here. Don't, don't think, well, slap me on his cheek. Well, might as well take the other one. No, that's not what he's saying. See, the, the slap at that time had to do with a sharp insult. So here's the thing. When somebody insults you, what's the first thing you want to do? I want uh, uh, Jay's maybe. Okay, I want to insult him back. Pastor Jay wants to punch him. I just <laughs> we're we're both sinners for doing that, right? What what do we have? This spirit of retaliation, right? When somebody does something to you at the time, you couldn't sue somebody to take their outer cloak. Jesus said, if somebody wants to sue you for your uh, he says, if they want to sue you for your underwear, let them have your outer cloak too. He says, if you get a Roman guard that says, hey, I want you to carry my backpack for a mile, which they could do, carry it two miles. So don't just do to get back at somebody what you think is right. And when somebody asks you to do something, do a little more. And finally... He talks about love. He says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor 
And here's another one they added. This doesn't really appear in the, in the, in the, the Torah, but these guys added this. That if you love your neighbor, well, then I guess that means you should hate your enemy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes. He says, if I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. So they say, hey, anybody can be nice to somebody that's nice to them. Uh, that, that, you don't even have to be a Christian to do that. It's just common courtesy. But he says, if somebody's mean to you, if somebody slanders you, if somebody curses you, somebody undercuts you, does you wrong, snitches, whatever, he said, I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. I want you to do good to them. See, sometimes keeping the law is doing things that you're supposed to do. Other times it's not doing the things you're not supposed to do. The Jesus in this whole section here, I'm not, we're not, didn't read it all, but He raises the bar. He raises the bar so high, guess who can't jump over it? <laughs> None of us. None of us can jump over it. So high. Here's what he, let's, let's go to the next slide. I want to see how he brings this together. All right, so verse 20, he says, your righteousness has to exceed what? Scribes and the Pharisees. How high is that? Verse 48, all the way to the end of that section, he tells you how high that is. He says, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you shall be what? Perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Guess what type of righteousness is required to get into heaven? Perfection. Perfection. It's not keeping 612 out of the 613. It's not keeping 9 out of 10. It's not keeping all the spirit of the law. You can't do it because... You guys ever read that verse in James chapter 2, verse 10? It says... Anybody that keeps the whole law yet offends in one point is guilty of what? The whole thing. Look at this in the New Living. Oh wait, God's standard of righteousness is not merely good. It's got to be perfect. What's God's standard? Perfection. Does anybody qualify? No, not on your own. Look at this. The person who keeps every law of God but makes, what's this? One little slip. Anybody ever made a little slip? Little slip? Just a little slip. I don't mean like a big slip. I just mean like a whoops. Just a little fib. Just a little one. He said, if you made just a little slip, you're guilty of the whole thing. So the point I'm just trying to drive home is, you don't qualify. See, the purpose of the law is not to reform you. So don't ever try to, you know, I'm probably going to get thrown out of church. So, I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. Save your rotten tomatoes for later. I've never been one that would ever fight to keep the Ten Commandments anywhere. Well, we've got to keep the Ten Commandments in school. We've got to keep Ten Commandments at the, the courthouse. The Ten Commandments will not save you. All they'll do is tell you you're going to hell. Only Jesus can save you. See, if you wanted to put something in front of the courthouse or in school, maybe it should be John 3.16. Exodus 20 does you no good.
Look at this in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, no one, I say that, no one. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's all it does. It just points out, who wants to go around all day knowing how sinful you are? You get a bowl of popcorn and, and the Ten Commandments. Man, I'm going to have a great night today just having a pity party. How sinful I am. See, the law condemns every single one of us. God's standard is perfection. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are perfect. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, the one I said earlier, he says, by one man's disobedience, all were made what? Sinners. By one man's obedience, many shall be made righteous. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. You could open every door for every elderly lady. Don't do what I did last the other week and said I had this thought about smacking somebody in the in the market. You could open every door. You could give 10% of your income. You could read your Bible all the way through. You could come to City Reach and go on our outreaches and, and and do everything we do and go to hell. Because you got to be made perfectly righteous to go to heaven. you got to have perfect right standing before God. And that only comes one way. Let's flip ahead to Romans chapter 4, guys. So how do I get righteous? Obviously, the Pharisees didn't get it right. They kept it all, and they were still unrighteous. I like Romans chapter 4. It talks about Abraham. And this refers back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. If you want to go back and read it, you can. But if you read through Genesis, we know the first time it talks about Abraham being credited or accounted with being righteous, that he believed God was, it was credited him for righteousness. Abraham was an average guy. He was a guy like a lot of us. He committed sins. Before he was declared righteous, if you look in chapter 12, he lied to, the, to, the, to Pharaoh about his wife being his sister. He didn't want to get killed, so he said, hey, tell Pharaoh you're my sister. So he literally gives his wife to Pharaoh so Pharaoh can sleep with her to protect his own back. Great husband, huh? And then in chapter 15, it says he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And then again, I think it's chapter 20, he lies about his wife being his sister again to King Abimelech. And but before that, his wife said, hey, I don't know if we're really going to have a baby or not. Why don't you sleep with my, my maid servant and you guys have a baby? So he lies about his wife twice, sleeps with his wife's handmaiden, 
But you know what I love? Is when you get to the New Testament after the blood of Jesus, the only thing recorded about Abraham is that he was credited with righteousness. You won't read about his sins in the New Testament. You have a record of them in the Old, but in the New, it just says several times he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Isn't that great? It's great to know that you could have lived a bad life. You could have committed sin before you were made righteous. We all did. You could have committed sin after you were made righteous. Guess what the record of you is in heaven? You're righteous. So how does that happen? It says, what sense shall we say about Abraham our ancestor according to the flesh as discovered regarding this matter? For if Abraham was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham did what? He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This word credited, I think it's on the next slide, It's literally, I won't go through all this, it's an accounting term. It literally means to put onto your account. Anybody ever have, you get a credit card bill, right? And you return something, and what do they do? You You get a credit, right? Well, what happens is, is Jesus, because He came to fulfill the law, and He kept the entire law, and He kept it perfectly, And He's perfectly righteous. When you put your faith in Him, He literally puts His righteousness on your account. Inside. So how righteous is Jesus? Sort of righteous? Kind of righteous? Perfectly righteous. Which one? Alright. So if Jesus puts His righteousness on my account, and Jesus is perfectly righteous, how righteous am I when I believe in Jesus? Perfectly righteous. Now to the one who works, his pay is not credited uh, due to grace, but due to obligation. See, Jesus, He's saying here, the Holy Spirit's saying that if you work for something, God owes it to you. How many want to get what we deserve? Like, if you want to get what you deserve good, you're going to get what you deserve bad. <laughs> I don't like that deal. Because I do a lot more bad than good. So that's not how grace works. See, under grace, God gives me what I don't deserve. Because He took what He didn't deserve. So you remember the word credited? He credits what to my account? Righteousness. By faith. By grace. Look at Roman, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ. God it was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Same word, credited, here it's imputing, not imputing what? Their trespasses to them. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. Here's what happened. Not sure whose this is. Pastor Jay, come here. You're Jesus. You are Jesus. Come on up here. How long ago did Jesus die? 2,000 years ago, right? 
actually took place in eternity past, but for us, it happened 2,000 years ago. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world, not, not just Christians, but the world, to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Who did God impute my sins to? Look at this. God took my sin 2,000 years ago and He gave it to Jesus. He took your sin 2,000 years ago and put it on Jesus' account. Jesus gets credit for something He didn't do. Sin. He took the sin you committed yesterday, last year, last week, today, tomorrow, ten years from now, sins you haven't even committed yet, He grabbed them and put them on Jesus' account. Literally, the whole world has already had their sins forgiven. Imagine that. But you'll still go to hell with your sins forgiven because you cannot go to heaven unless you have what? Look what He puts gives me. See this? What's this? Righteousness. See, God put my sin on Jesus 2,000 years ago. But when I put my faith in Jesus, He puts His righteousness now on my side of the equation. See, when He died, He went down, paid for that sin, died for it, came back, and now I have the ability and privilege to receive what He paid for. See, it doesn't seem fair... He was given what I deserved. Sin and death. I was given what He deserved. Righteousness. Isn't that great? Now here's, here, here's where I want to leave this with you today. Here's where, thanks, Pastor Jay. You can get rid of that sin now. Get rid of that sin. Here's where a lot of people struggle. A lot of people struggle. Well, I realize I was made righteous. We can turn the slide, slides off. Or here we go. So a lot of people struggle. Well, I was made righteous, but then I sin. Am I unrighteous or do I stay righteous? Your actions don't determine your righteousness. Just remember that. You're righteous because you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. He put his righteousness on your account. So don't let any don't let religious people, the devil, don't you like how I put the devil and religious people in the same category? Don't let people talk you out of your righteousness. Now, I'm going to ask you again. I asked you earlier if God was here, and he said, I want you to come up here if you're truly righteous. About 15 people raised their hand. I'm going to ask you again. Based on what I told you, that your righteousness is not based on your actions, but based on your faith in Jesus, how many people could honestly say, I am righteous right now? Okay. I feel like I've done my job. You're established. So here's the, here's the thing though. You're going to leave here today knowing you're righteous. Tomorrow you're going to mess up and the devil's going to tell you, oh, you're going to hell. You just sinned. And you, what are you going to tell him? 
I'm righteous because Jesus made me righteous. Get out of here. Go back to hell. Leave me alone. I'm on my way. Now, let's just, let's just bow your heads right here. I want to ask you this. If you could not put your hand up, and you say, you know what? I'm not really sure. I don't know. I've never put my faith in what Jesus did. I've been trying to live a good life. I've been trying to do the best I could do. I want to go to heaven, but I thought it was up to me. I just want you to know that God loves you and God's already made a way for you. God has a place for you and His family. So whether you're here, whether you're online, if you've never made that decision, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe in what You did. I believe in what You did. I believe that I was a sinner. I am a sinner because of what Adam did. And now I put my faith and trust in You because of what You, Jesus, did. And because of what Your Word says, I believe that I'm now the righteousness of God. If that's you today, I want to pray for you just for a few minutes after church. Just while everybody heads bowed, just, just slip your hand up for me if you would. If that's you, I won't embarrass you. I just want to give you pray for you. If you don't feel comfortable and you want to come up after service, that's fine too. Father God, I just thank you today for your goodness. God, I pray that we would be established in this that we would be able to withstand the enemy's lies. Lord, that when he comes and said, hey, you're no good, you're, no, you're worthless, you failed again, God's mad at you, we would reject all of that as the lie of the enemy. The God that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what He did. Father, thank You for such a great salvation. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know You or doesn't, isn't really sure, Holy Spirit, I just ask that You would continue to just, just draw them. And Father, I pray that today would be the day.